you're listening to a Mash Those Buttons limited series. Visit us at mashthosebuttons.com. On this episode, we head to the home of the Shadow Karja, Sunfall. We enter the Zero Dawn facility and finally discover what Zero Dawn is. Welcome to episode 18 of Lightkeeper Protocol. Welcome to Lightkeeper Protocol, a podcast about our journey through Horizon Zero Dawn and Horizon Forbidden West. I am Jared, but you can call me Ja, and I am here with Christina, also known as Pop-Tart. Hello. And I'd like to welcome any new listeners, and welcome back any return listeners. Thank you guys very much for taking the time to check out Lightkeeper Protocol. We hope you're enjoying the show. I imagine you are, as this is episode 18 uh, just wanted to remind everybody that we do have a Discord where you can come in and discuss the game and discuss the show. Uh, that's at mash.gg slash Discord. We love to have you there. So, you know, if you want to talk some Horizon, hop on in. Let's do a quick recap before we get started. Uh, last episode, we went to the Grave Horde and discovered Operation Enduring Victory, which was an effort to hold off the machines and give Zero Dawn time to complete. Uh, we found the location of the Zero Dawn facility, but it, unfortunately, it is right underneath the Citadel at Sunfall. So in order to help us get in and not get caught immediately as we're, you know, walking in, we infiltrated the main Eclipse base and took down their focus network and then outran a whole bunch of Deathbringers. Aloy is still alive, and now we are on our way to Sunfall so that we can get to into the Zero Dawn facility. So... This quest is Deep Secrets of the Earth. It is the only main quest <laughs> that we have at this point. Um, so uh, I would imagine like, if, if you're following the quest by level, then I would imagine you, you would have finished the Meridian stuff by now. You know, uh, but uh, yeah, Aloy, uh, she rides the Sunfall. And for me, both times I played because I forgot this happens you know i forgot what happens in sunfall for the most part i was surprised that you get no reaction from any of the soldiers at all yeah i thought that was weird too because i was like well all of the soldiers that we've encountered we've basically killed right but then her face was on the focus network i thought at some point so it was, and not every Shadow Karja has a focus, and maybe that's the point. But at the same time, I mean, Helis is still, like, like one of the leaders there. Like, they don't have another way to spread information. Like, hey, if you see this lady, if you see this girl, kill her. It's on site. Kill her, capture her, something. Right. You would think he would send at least one person to this location. Well, yeah. I mean, considering that's, that, that is their capital right, right now. Right. <laughs> so, like, it's it's just surprising that you can kind of just go in and come and go as you please. Even the, like, you know, going to the other Karja uh, areas, like Blazing Arch, there's no reaction. Uh, if you go to one of their outposts, there's no reaction. The only reaction you get is from that one outpost where you had to infiltrate it, right? And because you weren't supposed to be there, you know, it was a restricted area. So. Yeah, that that's that's the thing that's just really surprising that there's no 
and don't get me wrong, I do know that there is a ceasefire as well, but that's a ceasefire between the Sun Car, the Shadow Carja, and the Sun Carja, as they will be called later. Not a ceasefire between the Shadow Carja and this Nora girl who's been jacking them, you know, for the for this entire game. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it is a little, a little weird. So uh, the first place you come to is Shadowside, which is the slum of Sunfall. And it's a tent city and people are not doing well. Like you can hear them like wailing and people are sick. Uh, there's actually a side quest we're going to talk about later. It's actually not a side quest. I think it's an errand, but whatever. Uh, that we're going to talk about a little later uh, to help a, a, a little girl that's sick. Um, did you look to the right of the ramp? Like when you go into Sunfall? Or did you just go straight up the ramp? I probably went straight up the ramp. I don't do scenic views for some reason. I'm just so excited. Like, oh, this is the next part of the story. So when I get close, I get tunnel vision unless there's a side quest. So you didn't see those guys training who are all bandaged up and beat up like they're like soldiers. You didn't see that. Like, no. yeah. So they're <laughs> like, yeah, if you look to the right of the ramp, there's a Karja soldier and he's in front of a bunch of people who are assuming are soldiers are being trained as soldiers and they are not in armor. They're just wrapped up in like gauze and stuff like that. They look beat up. You can see like if you just look at them, they're bruised and bloodied and all that stuff. They're also pretty bad at fighting, too, because he's trying to, you know, they're just doing like the basic, you know, chop maneuver with, you know, whatever type of weapon that is. It's some type of axe, but it's not called an axe. I do know it's not called an axe. Oh, not with their hand. Got it. <laughs> yeah, not with their hand. No, they're not chopping with their hand. Um, but uh, yeah, like they're they're having like they're out of sync. They're not doing it well. It just doesn't look very good. Uh, now, when you do go up the ramp, uh, the Sunfall guards they let you in with no problem. If you stand there long enough, like a couple, like two, two or three seconds, one of the guards will say, "Don't get comfortable. You're you're not welcome here. You're just being tolerated." He does say that, so they are letting you know that they're putting you on notice. Uh, there is a cutscene when you go inside. And the thing I didn't like about this one is like, no matter what side you go up, if you go up the right side, which they, I think is what they imagine that you do, you know, that's fine. But if you go up the left side, you like warp over to the right side and you're overlooking the sun ring. And uh, she sees like a behemoth fighting some guards. I don't even know if they're really fighting it. I don't know. I guess they're just getting it angry. Like, I don't think they really have to do that. Right. <laughs> like, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, but the weird thing is, um, the expression on her face almost looks excited. Like it was a weird expression. Yeah, I noticed that too. She had like a little like smirk on her face, like "Oh, it's time for some battles." Yeah, like, that's yeah, not like it's, exciting. Yeah, so uh, she does say that you know at least they don't do this in Meridian, Meridian anymore. And uh, Silence says and they'll miss it in time. Which, I mean, he may have a point. You know, right now everything's great with Avad. But, you know, as time passes and not everything is going to be sunshine and rainbows even under Avad. Like, that's just how things go. Uh, right. You know, they might like, well, the old ways are better. Like, you're going to get those people. Also, they're going to get bored. I mean, if there's, like, a ceasefire and there's not, like, active war and stuff, there's people that just can't accept peace and quiet like they need stuff going on so even if it's not a sun ring for sacrificing i could still see it like a coliseum right yeah so possibly we'll see what happens in the future <laughs> but uh yeah so there's also this like a type of like bar or restaurant there 
but it's like populated by a bunch of different tribes that are not Karja. Like there's like an Utaro there, is a Tanak there. Uh, there's a Banuk there. Well, but like in, and not just one of them, but like multiple of the people from the other tribes. And that's another thing that doesn't make sense when it comes to Sunfall to me. That these, you know, the the the, the Shadow Karja, the ones in Sunfall, are the ones that were okay with the Red Raids. You know, they were okay with the killing of the other tribes. So even if they're one, why are they welcoming people from other tribes into Sunfall? You know. And in two, because it's not a it's not a treaty, it's just a, pe- a ceasefire between the two sides. Like, and two, why would you be okay going there knowing that they like for for a decade they raided your villages, they killed your people? You know? That's it's extra weird to have like Banuk there because Banner is like really far away. Yes, Banner is really far away. The Utaro and a ten- I think it's Tenek. I think that's how you pronounce that tribe. Mm-hmm. They are in the Forbidden West, so it makes more sense because uh, Sunfall like right is, right on, is yeah. right on the edge of the Forbidden West. But the Banuk, yes, they are very far away from home because they are quite literally on the complete opposite side of the map. <laughs> right. Quite literally in another state because that, that, the other state's Colorado, you know? So, yeah, the it, it, is, uh, it is a little weird, but uh, yeah, it just seems... I don't know. Like I would have only. Ex- I, I I think it would have felt more based in the story if you had to like you know more. I don't want to say realistic because we are fighting robot dinosaurs, but realistic for that world. If you had to sneak into, uh, you know, Sunfall or something like that. Well, also, I, I guess it's to their benefit if they allow everyone in there because it keeps like the trades in the city, like alive and stuff because also even if the ceasefire is there but they wouldn't let people come in or try to kill them on site or whatever that would cause an issue between all of the tribes and this shadow carja i think is strong but not strong enough to face everybody at this very moment they're just trying to buy time until they can you know go for it if you look at if you look at those soldiers in the front they're not looking that strong to me you know, <laughs> they do have a lot of people uh, everywhere we go. I had to kill like 30 people. Yeah. Not to mention they, they like, actually, I believe in the side quest where you have to help the sick girl. Uh, they do t- like the, the, one of the people talks about how they don't really have resources and they have to be really careful about how they actually divide their resources up. You yeah. Know? Actually, even in, um, Helis's tent in the clips main base, he was talking about how they just grew weaker because they really don't have a bunch of resources, you know, because I don't, I mean, out in the rust wash, I don't really see anything growing out there. <laughs> you know, no. it's not, yeah. it's not like back in Meridian, which is like, I, I assume it's like right outside the jewel, maybe even part of the jewel, but like, you know, that's a more lush area where they can grow things. So, but uh, yeah, so as Aloy enters the Citadel, Silence is like, well, this is the true test to see if the focus network is down. She's like, what? Like, is it down or not? Uh, but um, no, it was fine because they let her into the Citadel with no problem. Um, now, up here, there's another group of soldiers training, and they actually look like soldiers. They're actually in sync. They're in armor and all that stuff. So those are the guys who uh, I think, I mean, technically speaking, I think they're called Kestrels. Um, I don't know if that's a specific type of soldier or not, but 
uh, I think that's what they're called. But uh, yeah, they uh, they are there and they're looking like soldiers. And as you get like you know you're approaching the throne room, you're still outside, but you see a bunch of outlanders. There's a bunch of outlanders out there, and it turns out they're bounty hunters. And a Carja soldier tells them that if you want to hear about today's bounties, go inside. And after they leave, he calls them a bunch of filthy bottom feeders. <laughs> you know. Which, I don't know, maybe might may be true because, you know, other people from their tribe may be like, there's no way I'm going to go help or work for the Shadow Cards. And these guys, I don't care. It's money. You know, it's shards. So these people, they, they may be like this. But Aloy follows. They think she's one of the bounty hunters. And uh, inside... Uh, you, you gather around the throne, and the high priest Bahavis starts to speak. By the glory of the sun revealed, behold, radiant Edaman, the one true sun king, the light in shadow, whose will is light and whose light is law. I command Lucian Bahavis to speak in my behalf. By the will of Radiant Edaman does the sun glare down mercilessly upon the traitor Uthid. To the hunter who brings his head to us shall go a bounty of 500 shards. More prisoners than royalty, don't you think? Hmm. Love your hair. You and I need to chat, little huntress. The Green Tent down in Shadowside? I'll be waiting. Kind of busy. We both know you're no killer for hire. Uthid is innocent. So come see me while there's still time to save him. So, the way in I spoke of is right behind you. You've got to be kidding. Not at all. And you needn't worry about the Kestrels. They'll be too busy acting important to pay attention to you. This is, this is our first time seeing Bahavis, like, and Itaman. Yeah. We haven't seen them before. We've only heard about them. We never saw them. Can I just point uh, out that, like, Itaman is, like, so much not in the story that you forget he exists, even though, like, you're helping Meridian so much. You would think that there would be more conversation about him and his mom. That is true. I mean, he is a prince. So Yeah, but nothing. I don't know anything about his mom. Like... <laughs> Yeah, by the time this game ends, you still won't know anything. Plus, I don't like. I'm like I'm certain she is not Avad's mother. She's not. I, I yeah. <laughs> definitely looked into it. She is not. So yeah, it's like it's, his half brother. Yeah, it's his half brother, but still, like, still his brother. You know what I'm saying? So, right. but you, you know, you're, you're correct. Um, you do kind of like. Honestly, I think Avad mentions him once. In dialogue, maybe, but other than that, unless you picked up a um, glyph, you might not have ever seen his name before. Like he might yeah. start talking, like "Who's this kid? Why are they worshiping us? He's a, is he the golden child? Like how is he? Like you know?" <laughs> I just feel how do you like have this relation. There would be more. I guess he wasn't around him that much because when everything happened, like his brother was like five or six. And before then, he wasn't really in the city as much or probably not around his father. So maybe he didn't have too many interactions with his brother to, like, have a good connection to be like, oh, no, my brother's missing. Maybe it was more of like a someone he kind of saw, but he was a baby. I don't know. 
I don't know. It's five full years, you yeah. know, <laughs> to, to 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 meet your brother. So, um, and that's true. I mean, because I think I don't like maybe at most he left when he was four. Yeah, because it didn't take him. I don't think he was gone for years. Like I think it was only like a, few a few months, months. that they, and then of course whatever time it took for them to march and beat whatever forces they were fighting through, you know. So, uh, I don't think it was that long. You're making excuses for him. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I always try to see the best in people. Uh, well, good for you. <laughs> so, uh, Bahavis, he is speaking on Edmund's behalf. And I mean, honestly, that's because Edmund is eight. He's eight years old at this point. And, you know, while Bahavis is speaking, you could tell Edmund is uncomfortable with the situation. You know, and uh, I mean, clearly, Edmund is only there because he's their claim to power. You know, he's their only claim to power. Without a sun king to, to say, speak on my behalf and stuff like that. They have no, no claim to power, no claim to the throne at all. Right. So, but, uh, Bahavis is trying to get bounty hunters to track down somebody named Uthid. And this actually introduces a new side quest called traitors bounty. Uh, so while this cutscene is going on, a woman named Vanasha, she, she seems to know who you are already. And she wants you to wants you to help her help Uthid. You know, she says he's innocent and she wants to meet with you by a tent in shadow side. So um, it's it's weird placement to get a side quest. I mean, I know that you went back. Right. Mm -hmm. And did this side quest right away. I did this side quest after I finished the facility because I'm like, I'm not going back right now. <laughs> as soon as I met her, I was like. I like you. I want to see what happens. So that's why I just followed. Yeah, you know she's going to... You know she should be an important character because she has a unique face. Yeah. There's no one else in the game that looks like her, that dresses like her. No one. I mean, she she doesn't have one outfit. She has two unique outfits in the game. Yeah. So, actually, I mean, I, actually, you know what? I think one of her outfits... Aloy can get. I think she Aloy can get it as armor. One of like one of her outfits. I, I have need, to double check. I need that. <laughs> Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I'll have to double check that. But like, we're not going to talk too much about her because we're actually going to talk about her when we actually do uh, the side quest. But uh, after you know, Bahavis has finished talking. Silence lets you know that the entrance to the facility is right behind you, and so Aloy goes. When the cutscene is over, though, there's an Osram behind Aloy or close to her in proximity that sounds excited to see the sun ring. And that sounds weird to me because the Osram were, I think, the, probably the most rated out of all the other tribes. I think according to, to what Avad said, like it was the most rated out of the other tribes. Yeah. This whole, especially, I'm not going to say anything, but especially like the full circle, I guess, of this quest, like everything is about this unring, just very weird. Just yeah. thinking about it, taking a step back and thinking about it, like, yeah. Yeah, so like he sounds excited to see the sunring and he actually goes outside to what I call the box, the sunring box seats, because it's, you know, I'm assuming it's for the, the royals because they get the best seats. And he's like, oh, look at this view. If you ever need to see some carnage, this is the place to be. And it's like, dude, like, your people were here. Like, you know. Maybe. Like, uh, I don't know. Maybe they pit machines up against each other because I find it. 
you know what? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop here because I know what this storyline. It like I can't I can't even think of ideas on why they would even think the sun ring is okay. Right. I, I can't give anyone <laughs> the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah. So Aloy, she can get by because nobody's really paying attention to her, and silence leads Aloy to a vent. And then this is when you get the first point of no return warning in the game. And I do think this confuses a lot of people um, because, you know, he's like, this is a point of no return. You better get all your things together. Like, you know, I don't want to hear any whining after we start this. So this is a point, technically speaking, it's a point of no return because the world does change after this quest. There are two things, at least two things that change after this quest. However, you still have access, full access to all your side quests and everything you want to do. The second point of no return is the one where once you start it, you will finish out the game when once you start it. So I actually got to this point and when I heard him say that, that's actually when I was like, okay, let me go see what Vasha wants and then all of the rest of the other side quests. I only had like a few more at that point. I was like, I may as well finish like the three or five that I have. Right, yeah. Well, that makes sense. And then I fell down so, the rocks the second time going over there. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I can't actually I mean honestly, the first time I do not think I finished the side quest my first playthrough, I do not recall Vasha's side quest at all. I don't recall the other side quest at all. So I don't think I actually went back. I think once I finished that, I just went straight through and finished the game at that point. Oh, well, the wording, I guess, might make it seem like nothing else is available past this point. So you didn't even try. Think about it. Yeah. yeah. So. But uh, this time I know better. So. <laughs> All right. So Aloy, she goes down. She finds another door like she found at Maker's End and in the Woman of the Mountain. It does the identity scan again and it's successful. But this time the door is stuck. And so the AI voice recommends emergency venting to fix the problem, which she says, yeah, I'm, I'm doing it. And uh, the problem is that the venting activates the vents outside near the sun ring near the guards. And uh, this alerts the guards. And Silence is like, we don't have much time uh, as Aloy enters the facility. So you already know that like this is how they're going to get the Shadow Karja into this facility to, to project a challenge. So I think Maker's End was the only one where once you actually got into faci- the facility... No problems. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I was nervous. I would like turn around a corner and they would just be right there, which thankfully that doesn't happen. There's a, a couple of other, couple of other things that just pop up when you go around the corner that scare the crap out of me. But the Shadow Karja wasn't part of that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, she gets in. She enters the reception area. I mean, the first thing is there. there is a data point. There's two data points in here. But the first one is the lounge staff complaining that they need human translators, security staff, and sedatives for people coming to the facility because apparently some people are coming in very angry. There was a Dr. Popovich who was enraged and throwing chairs and vases at the staff. Uh, so something upset him, and that was just the lounge area, which we're not in yet. We're in the reception area. And then the, I think there's another message. There's another message that reiterated the same thing, but this is from the reception staff saying, you know, that some people are frightened, they're confused. When they get there, uh, that they aren't used to having information withheld from them, you know. Uh, now, one I will say this one: when it says frightened, 
or and you know or, or confused um i don't think they were just inviting people here <laughs> you know it's not I think a big old like, party <laughs> yeah they weren't just inviting people like, hey you want to come and work on zero dawn or you want to come to this facility this is more of a u.s government yeah you we just need you to come with us uh yeah you know the thing I, that was so strange about it was the reception logs was like it's almost one of those cartoons where like everything's going wrong, but then you have the receptionists that are like full composure, just like super chill. Like, yeah, right. we have a problem over here. So I felt it was very <laughs> weird for they're like, hey, we just need some help, you know, like not they're also freaking out. Like, I understand why they're freaking out. Like, I would be mad too. Like, no, they're just like, come on, guys, we need help. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I do know in one of the audio logs later. I think uh, somebody was described as a priority snatch and grab. So, yeah, they're definitely just like, you know, picking people up and getting them to come. Um, but, yeah, and the next area is the actual lounge. And there's another data point, And it asks if it will be possible to improve the soundproofing between VR1 and the lounge area. Because some people scream or sob when they go into that room. <laughs> <laughs> you know so that's not uh that's not scary at all but uh the lounge area is more like it has like coffee and tea and stuff like that while you wait to go into this room called vr1 the synthetic voice in the facility says to head to vr1 to hear about the purpose of your visit to the facility and uh that's when we go into vr1 and it's a holographic theater welcome to project zero dawn I am General Harris, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the United States of America. I'm sure you've heard the rumors that Zero Dawn is a top-secret super-weapons program, the technological miracle that will save us from the Pharaoh Plague if Operation Enduring Victory can hold off the robots long enough. The reason I'm sure you've heard the rumors is that I'm the one who spread them, and they are all lies. Zero Dawn is not a super-weapons program. And it will not save us. Nothing will save us. And here's why. By the time the glitch was noticed, it was already too late. Nothing could stop the Pharaoh Plague. Nothing can. Its robots will continue to replicate and devour the biosphere. Life on Earth will be destroyed. Our planet reduced to a barren sphere. Global extinction is inevitable. No matter how many we kill, the robots just keep exponentially making more. If we had their deactivation codes, we could shut them all down, the entire swarm. But since their cryptographic protocols use polyphasic entangled waveforms, cracking a code set would take half a century. At best, we've got 16 months. Not exactly what you'd call a survival option. The destruction of a biosphere is not the sort of apocalypse you can wait out in a fallout shelter or a space station. There will be no Earth left to reclaim. Just a lifeless, toxic rock with several million pharaoh robots on it, hibernating, waiting for something to eat. This is the horrible truth behind the lies of Operation Enduring Victory. My lies. Lies designed to inspire millions of innocents to sacrifice themselves in battle. Why? one reason to buy time for you and the work you will do here zero day the day that life on earth ceases to exist is coming fast 
it cannot be stopped. The hope of Zero Dawn is that something new might come after. But I will leave it to Elizabeth Sobek to shine that thin ray of light into the darkness. Harris, out. Alright, so General Harris, he drops some pretty heavy news here. Um, he does, uh, he tells you Operation Endur- well, I mean, the, the long short of his Operation Endur- Enduring Victory was kind of a lie. True, the operation needs to make time for Zero Dawn to be completed. False. Zero Dawn is not a weapons program that will save humanity. Did I say this before? Because I was like, I don't think Zero Dawn is a weapons program. They're just using that as a false pretense. I don't know if I said that, but I definitely thought it. (laughs) I don't know if you said it. I don't think so. Darn. Uh... So I'm I'm not necessarily sure, <laughs> but the audience probably does. Like, yes, yeah, she said it. Don't you pay attention? Like, you know, that's... where they're like, she's making things up. Never <laughs> said that. Yeah, we'll find out later. <laughs> <laughs> Come into the Discord and tell us. Um, exactly. So, uh, you know, he says it's impossible to stop the Pharaoh Plague. They'll just keep making more machines faster than they can kill them, and it will take fifty years to crack their deactivation codes. And at most, they only have 16 months before the biosphere collapses. You know, he also says the destruction of the biosphere is not something that they can wait out in a fallout shelter or a space station. Uh, So, you know, the Earth will be barren. Feral robots will just hibernate until something else can be fed, uh, can be found to eat once they've already destroyed everything. Uh, So, yeah, they can't. It's it's a it's a lose lose situation. There is no one alive right now that will live to tell the tale of this. Essentially, is what he's saying. Um, he does not go exactly into what Zero Dawn is, but he says that it's for what to, it's what to, it's for what comes after, essentially. And uh, he's going to leave it to Sobek to explain that. Yeah, so that's what all the sobbing and the crying is about. When people go into VR one, they find out the truth about Operation Enduring Victory and that there is no savior for humanity. Nothing is going to actually save humanity as it is right now. So Yeah, I mean, I guess their reaction is understandable. Throwing stuff's not oh, going to change yeah. anything, but like, I could see why they would throw stuff and be angry. Well, technically speaking, the throwing stuff is before they find out that information. Uh, okay. Okay, that's true. Yeah, the throwing stuff is before they actually find out that info. Yeah, so just being, so. you know, kidnapped and thrown in there, I could see why they're throwing stuff. Okay. Right, yeah. yeah kidnapping is a, is a good enough reason to start being angry and throw stuff. So. Yeah. Uh, so you go to the next area, and Kestrels have made it into the facility through the vents. And at this point, I think Silence is probably kicking himself. Because he's like, the vents, why didn't I think of that? Because he was trying to get through the front door. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, he had to be kicking himself. It's like, why? Oh, man, the vents. They, he, he has been trying. He said before you came in here that he had for decades, he spent trying to, you know, unravel the secrets of the old ones. He's the one who tried to get into this facility before, and he didn't think about the vents. To be but fair, just- the vents didn't open until... Aloy got there because she said to to open them. That is true. I will tell you that. But I'm sure it would be easier (laughs) to crack those vents open than to crack that door open. True. I am almost certain of it. True. All right. So, yeah, like I said, the shadow cards are making it in there. 
but they're humans and humans are just no threat at this point in the game plus there's only three of them so and there's enclosed spaces i mean they all walk through the same door and i just lit them up with the sling like it wasn't even i just put blast like lines down and they all just walked into it yeah so now this area does have quite a few audio logs it's like an intake interview like these are intake interviews like you know from the people who watched the first video and they're from different scientists with varying backgrounds that have dealt with specific events and uh, like one like one is uh she dealt with a reactor meltdown that caused radiation links and i think her job was to try to uh, i guess rehabilitate the area which failed but that's what her job was there was a captain uh was a there was a was it Okilo? Yeah, yeah, there was a Captain Okilo who had a lot of experience fighting against robots with humans. And that's because her country was rich with lithium and other people kept trying to take it using feral robots. Um there's one candidate, Ron Feldler, uh Felder, sorry, and he was freaking out because he thought they were trying to build a colony ship, but he had already worked out the logic that even if they did build a colony ship, they like you know people right now couldn't fit on it because they'd have to really store like embryos and then all the power and equipment that would take to power that technology. Like nobody was getting off the planet. So after that, it sounded like they had to sedate them. Uh, there was somebody who was a historian, uh, this guy named Tom, uh, Tom Peck. He wanted a piece of Pharaoh like the, his ended a little violently cause he was getting, yeah, he was upset. He's kind of yeah, upset. He, he was pretty upset. And then there was a guy named Brad uh, who he worked for Pharaoh and he felt bad for what he had created. Like he's partially responsible for the Pharaoh robots in in general. Yeah. He works so, on the um, chariot self-replication. Right. Yeah. Yes. So he says he really bought in the Ted's concepts, but he sounds like, I mean, with everything going on, he sounds like very like, I can't believe I just did that without thinking about it and, you know, stuff like that. So, but uh, there is one that I would say it's very, not very special, but somebody they pay attention to. And that is Travis Tate. I love uh, him. <laughs> you love Travis? <laughs> I love Travis. I circled him in my notes. Yeah. Travis Tate. He is important to listen to. So I'm actually going to play his audio log here. Want to discuss? Oof. So mama, she was right. Pardon? My mother, she took her Bible real serious. Not just Texas bubble serious, Pentecostal serious. Favorite chapter, Revelations. Now, I didn't always understand her on account of all that speaking in tongues and such, but when she did use her words, there was always end times this and lake of fire that on account of sinful lifestyles. Speaking of which, mind if I smoke? A tobacco cigarette. Sorry, darling. My takes run classic. Compliments your team tracked me down. Been a price on my head 18 months now. Sterling Malky was me, don't mind admitting. Been plenty of snakesters chasing the bounty too. But I kept the zigging to their zag. How'd you finger me? I believe Dr. Sobek listed you as an alpha candidate. Priority snatch and grab. Always suspected she had a little thing for me. Hey. I don't suppose you got real coffee in this place. You know, blood coffee, conflict cappuccinos, 
Mr. Tate, I'm clearing you to proceed. Just go. His audiologue feels like more of a way to display his personality, you know, because he like, doesn't talk about what he does per se. Uh, and he was a run, on the run for doing something to, uh, to a mega company, but they don't really talk about what he did. And when I looked it up, they don't talk about like there's, there's no information on what he did. Yeah, they said that he had a, a bounty on him for 18 months, and then he's like, "You just found me like that, like <laughs> what?" <laughs> Yeah, he was the priority snatch and grab. Like he was on because there was an alpha and betas list, and he mm-hmm. was a he was a, one of the alphas. I uh, feel like so, a lot of the people that we get the the audio logs from here were all on the alpha list. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're all alphas. So at the end, he asked for. Uh, well, so he, he well first of all, he went to go smoke a cigarette, and she's like, "Is that a, a tobacco cigarette?" He's like, "Well, yeah, I have classic taste," you know. <laughs> And then he also asked for coffee, but he didn't want like regular coffee. He wanted like, well, he called it a uh, blood coffee, conflict cappuccinos. <laughs> I wonder know, so. if that's like a nod to the um, Maker's End where they had that, uh, the coffee conflict. Yeah. yeah. The coffee conflict. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's what he wants. Uh, but they, there's also data points there with the guidelines for counselors on how to deal with candidates like. You know, they, they were there to judge their mental state after hearing the bad news. And, you know, they needed to be aware that what they just heard could be a trigger for severe mental and emotional trauma. And uh, they were also told to make sure that they firmly state that all other options were considered and they do not work, you know, in terms of like, you know, for Zero Dawn. And they also need to notify security if they leave, just uh, they can't leave a candidate alone. Because they're worried about the candidates like hurting themselves or, you know, worse. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, after the intake area, there is another hologram room. And this one is with Elizabeth Sobek. You've heard the bad news and it's all true. The Pharaoh plague is devouring the biosphere. Life itself will cease to exist. But does that have to be the end? What if we could give life a future. What if we could build a kind of seed from which, on a dead planet, life could blossom anew? This is the aim, the hope, of Project Zero Dawn. To create a super-intelligent, fully automated terraforming system and bring life back from lifelessness. What would such a system require? At its core, It would need a true AI, fully capable of making the trillions of decisions necessary to reconstitute the biosphere. An immortal guardian, devoted to the reflourishing of life. We call it Gaia. Mother Nature as an AI. But that's just the core of the system. She will need to be surrounded and empowered by a comprehensive suite of subordinate functions. Think of them as extensions of Gaia's mind, each dedicated to a specific purpose. Now these aren't AIs, but make no mistake, each presents an engineering challenge more profound than anything the human species has ever before attempted. Hardware that preserves and then gestates the billions of seeds and embryos from which life will be reborn. The construction of underground facilities to hold it all. And that's just the start. We don't have to build the entire system. The beauty of a fully automated terraforming system is that it can build itself. 
Now, over the days to come, you'll learn how all these functions, all these pieces that you'll be working on, fit together. How we'll race the clock to execute our harvest initiatives, write the software, build the tech and the facilities. How we'll lock it down and seal it up before the inevitable occurs. But even more important, you'll know how it doesn't end here. How Gaia will generate those deactivation codes General Harris talked about and build the transmission arrays to broadcast them, shutting down the feral robots for good. How Gaia will not just build, but imagine any conceivable robot it needs to do its work across centuries. From detoxifying the Earth's ravaged atmosphere and poisoned seas, to the regreening of the Earth from cryopreserved seed stalks, to rewilding the Earth with animal life. And then, when all that is done, how a new generation of human beings, spawned at cradle facilities around the globe, will partake of Apollo. The vast archive of human knowledge and cultural achievement from which they will learn of us, our world, and most important, how not to repeat our mistakes. It's not an impossible dream. It is within our grasp if we work tirelessly and stop at nothing to achieve it. We can't stop life from ending. But if you will help me, help Gaia, we can give it a future. Join me and help make that future real. All right, so with this one, we finally learned what Project Zero Dawn is. Elizabeth, she tells you what it is, and it is a fully automated terraforming system that will bring life back to Earth after everything is dead. Um, But it's it's it it's not going to be that fast like you know like like uh harris says you can't wait this out because the full terraforming efforts are going to take like 315 years they're going to take it so it's yeah after zero day so 315 years plus 16 months like you have to wait all that out which is just not happening uh so this terraforming system will require a fully functioning artificial intelligence they've named Gaia. And they also have a bunch of subordinate functions dedicated for specific purposes. And they go over each one of them except Hades. Because, you know, that's the one that we actually want to know what it does. But, uh, and also, when we do, we'll find out what Hades does a little bit later in this, uh, in this episode. But... It's a. It's probably good that they didn't mention what Hades actually does in this presentation because they wanted to be hopeful. So uh, Minerva uh, is how they will actually deactivate the Pharaoh robots. So Harris said it takes like at least 50 years to crack the code. So Gaia will generate the deactivation codes for the robots and use Minerva to broadcast the codes. Now, I'm going to ask you, did you notice the shape of the structure that they showed with Minerva? No, I have it up and I don't even remember what it looked like. Okay. So, yeah. Okay, I'm not I'm going to leave it alone then. <laughs> I'm going to leave it alone because Oh, okay. I I see it. You see it I think now. I get okay. it. I just put it together. Right. So, now it's okay, since you put it together, we'll we'll put it together for everybody else. We'll tell them what that is. You want me to tell them? You can tell them. Yeah, okay, well, just, what I think it is, because I could be wrong, is it looks like a tall neck? Oh, no. No, 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 no. That's not it. Uh, it looks like a radio <laughs> signal. It does look like a radio signal, but the structure itself. You've seen that structure before in the game. 
you gotta you gotta help me out here I, i'm right, not really so good I'll, at putting things together like that i'll just i'll just put it like this the spire outside of meridian oh that really cool one that i wanted to go to that did like nothing yes <laughs> oh if you've gone to the spire in meridian that's what it looks like. <laughs> like that. That's that's what it looks like. It looks like one of the Minerva towers. Oh, I thought it was so, a tall neck, and I was like, "Oh, the tall yeah. necks were put out to like push out the signal." Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. So the, I'm pretty sure the the purpose of the tall neck was so that all the all the uh, machines in an area can communicate with each other, and then back to whatever facility, like you know, you know, basically just keep long range communications. But yeah, so. Uh, the spire is a part of Minerva. Like, and they, the, I don't want to say, well, the, the cards don't worship it, but they definitely consider it like a, I think almost like a sacred site, the, the spire. That's what they call it. But yeah, that's, that's what that is. It's part of Minerva's network. Uh, Hephaestus is the next one. And what Hephaestus does is it builds the machines that Gaia is, that Gaia is going to create. So Gaia creates the machines and Hephaestus is the, function that builds the machines uh to help rebuild the biosphere right aether focuses on detoxifying earth's atmosphere and they use storm birds for that so that's what storm birds originally for poseidon will focus on detoxifying earth's water and they used snap moths for that probably among other things uh i think it's demeter demeter uh that will reintroduce plant life back into earth Artemis will reintroduce animal life back into Earth. And Luthia will bring back human life and grow them in cradle facilities around the world. And then Apollo is an archive of human history and culture. And that is meant to educate humans in the cradle facilities. Yeah, so like I said, for Hades, like they showed it, but they don't really give an explanation as to what Hades is. And Aloy is confused as why Hades was created and how did it end up in a feral robot. So out of everything they listed there, besides Hades, because, you know, we don't know what Hades does. Everything that we that they gave a, a, an explanation for, everything worked except Apollo. I think even even Aloy like, asked, like, what happened to Apollo? What happened to this, like, archive of knowledge? Right. Because... The, the robots were deactivated. The machines were built. The air was detoxified. The water was detoxified. We got plant life. We got animal life. We got human life. No knowledge. <laughs> yeah. My question, though, to that, I mean, obviously, there was still some stuff from the world when, like, at least something. I mean, you have the ancient vessels and all of these things that you're finding, but it's just like. There had to have been knowledge somewhere because we don't know how long they've been alive for, like, you know, the the people in the world now. And maybe there was some information that they somehow got early on, but not the full thing because they speak English or whatever language you are in the game. Like, they speak the same language. Yes. Well, there were still documents and things like that they could find. So. You know what we didn't do that I'm just remembering that we, we meant to do? We did. I don't think we actually talked about the founding, founding of the Karja and the founding of Meridian. Because that is, a, um, that is a glyph you can find. And I'm pretty sure it's right near Avad. 
Yes. So we'll have to go back. Yeah, we'll have to go back and we will talk about that. But uh, the founding Karja or one of the like first Karja found something he called the leaves. And the leaves, based off of what he was like, based off of what I read and what I gathered, the leaves taught them about navigation. So uh. there are. There are pieces of information and pieces of knowledge that are left behind, that were left behind. I just don't think it was that extensive. And of course, we're talking about, and when they say leaves, I'm pretty sure they mean paper. Right. Um, we're also talking about, this is like, you know, hundreds of years after the fact, you know? Yeah, I have paper, you know, if I, if I tried to find a piece of paper from when I was a child, it's like <laughs> yellow and crinkled up and stuff like that. So I can only imagine what it's like, uh, you know, hundreds of years. So there yeah. was some information, just not it wasn't Apollo. I'll I mean, it's also it's also a game. So like they, it has to somehow fit in. So there's also that, I guess. That is true. Uh, so, yeah, Aloy, she passes into the next room and this is kind of like a second interview area. And at the terminal, there's a data point, and it states that now that the person knows the real purpose of Zero Dawn, they cannot be allowed to leave. I guess technically speaking, even after the first VR, like VR1, they, sh- they wouldn't have been allowed to leave because you just learned the truth that there is no hope, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, they have three choices. They can either participate, and if they participate, they will be allowed to enter Elysium which is a sealed habitat to live out the, the rest of their natural lives. Uh, there is indefinite detention, which means, and it's actually not indefinite because if they part if they don't participate, that means they, they have to be held and heck, they can't contact the outside world, but they will be released when zero day facility is abandoned. So it's not indefinite detention because they know at the most they have 16 to 18 months or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Then finally, there's medical euthanasia. That's the third option. You could just medically, they could put you out of your misery right then and there. Uh, and there's like a whole, like, I think for both indefinite detention and the euthanasia, you have to wait. They'll wait 48 hours and ask you again what you want to do. Right. So, um, so there are more interviews in this room. And Brad that we talked about before, he's actually happened to join. It's like his moment of atonement. You know, he really considers it an opportunity for what he did to make up for what he did. And um, there is uh, one candidate, Susan, Suzanne Alpert, who chose euthanasia. And because she doesn't like the idea of waiting around to die in an underground bunker. And the person's like, they, the, the counselor's like, well, what about your family? She's like, I don't have family. But she's like, well, maybe I can start one. And he's like, yeah, sorry, you can't do that because everybody going to Elysium has to be sterilized. Because I think the facility is only built to last for about 100 years. And there are only going to be 3,000 people in it. They can't have the population go up. The population can only come down. Yeah, I think That's they said the, if the population goes up, it would only last like 30 years. Yeah, is what they're saying. Yeah. So. And Ron, my man Ron, he went from afraid to angry. Um, he, he does not think Zero Dawn is possible. Uh, he wants to leave, but obviously he can't. He's like, I'm going to get out of here. And he starts tussling with whatever security is. So he's getting detention. I'll tell you that much. Maybe he changed his <laughs> tune after, you know, he thought about it for 48 hours. Uh, and then, yeah, that's when you go to the next room. And uh, three skull enemies pop up out of nowhere pretty much. But luckily, they're all standing in the same place. So I just 
that's my 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 weapon of choice when it comes to humans now. It's just a sling. Like you just get one, you just one hit down, and they'll just burn up, and then that's it. Uh, but if you do go forward, there are more audio logs. One from Tom Pake. Uh, I'm putting up saying his name right, and he actually, you know, he accepted the job to get it done. But he's actually plans on youth going for euthanasia after the project is done. He says he likes the outdoors too much. He doesn't want to live in this bunker. And uh, the historian also accepted, so she's probably working on Apollo, right? I would I would say. Um, and uh, then you get a, another audio log from my man, Travis Tate. Now, those lame FBI black hats and Mockingbird back in the day, I enjoyed schooling them. But maybe I went in too hard on this poor counselor. She was cute and just going down a checklist after all. Couldn't expect her to see how ridiculous Zero D's ambitions are. God's own budget thrown at a kid playing with a hologram sculptor. Palms up, honey. I'm just calling it like it is. Hey, look, Mom, I'm making nature. Now, if nature is so important, why not let nature take its course? Extinction? That's natural. Zero dawn? No, ma'am, that ain't. Heck, it's so unnatural it'll be called an abomination back home, and you know it. That's why you're hiding it. Meanwhile, my little honey of a counselor, she's munching the inside of her cheek. Bad habit. She chewed one of her nails, too, just one. Not your day, was it, little sweet pea? Saw her quota slipping away. Said, I assume you intend to decline the assignment, Mr. Tate. <laughs> you kidding me? 18 months hard labor in exchange for 30 years lounging around Elysium watching porn? <laughs> Sign me up. And so he was giving the counselor a hard time for no reason. And he also feels like Zero Dawn is too ambitious, but he did it anyway. You know? So. I guess technically speaking, whether Zero Dawn works or not he still just gets to live out the rest of his life. You know, so that's the case with anybody, like whether it's a success or a failure. Right. He's like, yeah, sounds like a great, great gig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now there's a door that needs to be opened with the help of those time locks again. Uh, but this time, like, I think one of the puzzles is backwards. Like this is they're like the most puzzle like you get in the game. So, but like, you, you know, you do the time locks. And you get through that door, and there's even more Eclipse there. But this time, like, when you look, there's an upstairs area, and Aloy can see Gaia through one of the upstairs windows. Or at least a symbol for Gaia on one of the upstairs windows. And uh, this fight is easy, once again. Um, I was caught by surprise when the other door opened, and there were more cards there. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> so that was a little surprising. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so now you're making your way through where they were actually working on Gaia and the sub-modules. And the first area you find is where they were working on Hephaestus. Hello, I'm Margot Shen, and this is Hephaestus. As the name might tip you off, this is going to be the subordinate function that Gaia will use to make lots and lots of robots. Her personal forge. Except, it's not that simple. Um, so like... You probably noticed that only about a third of you are robotics engineers. The rest, experts in machine cognition, virtual heuristics, that stuff. Well, that's because we aren't going to be the ones designing and building robots. The last thing we want is to burden Guy with a bunch of outmoded 21st century designs. Waste of time. Our purpose is to empower Gaia to build the robots. And not just build, imagine, 
from scratch. Any robot she needs for any conceivable purpose, designed and fabricated at a snap of a finger. Hers. Her finger. So, Hephaestus isn't really the forge. It's more like the knowledge of craft and ingenuity of a mastersmith to wield the hammer. Encoded as software. Virtual creativity made real. Gaia's already learning. In simulation, she's doing some very creative things with fractal assembly and animal morphologies. Her designs aren't about to win the Liam Prize anytime soon, but hey, everyone has to start somewhere. So, yes, time to get started. Let's do this. And yeah, the alpha for Hephaestus is uh, Margot Shin. And there's an email from Elizabeth telling her not to worry about her age or her communication style. Like she picked her for a reason because I guess she was feeling a little insecure about that. Uh, and there's another data point with um, Margo being surprised about the designs for Gaia. She's like, oh, there's, it's almost like she's, the, the machines are a tribute for the, the, the animals that we're losing. So she's pretty happy with them. Uh, after a speech is done, Aloy does wonder why Gaia would create machines that attack humans. And uh, she does note that Hephaestus has been forcing cauldrons to create aggressive machines, and she doesn't really know why i just and, uh, i just like the idea ahead. of it's like hey we got into this place because we relied too much on robots so let's go into the future and rely on robots to reset the world and i'm like <laughs> nothing can possibly go wrong here uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i mean in that area a lot of the stuff that you see are in the cauldrons Right, like you see, like the things that help those like platforms hover and stuff like that. You see those, like just kind of like depowered, you know, in in that area. So it's actually pretty cool. But that's where they built all that stuff. Um, so you're trying to get to Elizabeth's office, but it's kind of sealed off. So you have to like walk through more of the facility. You do see a bunch of eclipses that you're gonna have to fight, though. Uh, I never tried to like shoot them from I can't I don't even know if you can shoot them from that little overpass that you walk over. I didn't try because every time I try to shoot them between fences, like the arrow gets stuck on the fence or like just oh, completely okay. misses, so it, I didn't even think it would let you. Gotcha. Okay. So after that, Aloy runs into the area where they were developing Apollo. Welcome to Apollo. The collective memory of the human species and the wellspring of knowledge for future generations. I am Samina Ebaji. Until recently, I was director of the International Collective Memory Institute in New Tehran. As a heritage professional, I devoted my career to the preservation of human knowledge, creative endeavor, and cultural achievement. Apollo is, therefore, the ultimate embodiment of a lifelong passion, albeit under the very worst circumstances imaginable. The challenges before us are immense. Specifically, we will have to design and implement four major initiatives simultaneously. First, the construction of data repositories in cradle facilities around the world ensuring redundancy. Second, the collection and processing of a projected 180 million discrete data entries. 42 zettabytes of data in Mandarin, English, Spanish, and Arabic. Third, the transferal and encoding of all that data onto DNA encapsulated in synthetic fossils. The only medium capacious and durable enough to safeguard it without degradation for the centuries to come. And last but not least, 
the development of the holographic interface and gamified curricula by which future humans will commune with Apollo, progressively unlocking heuristic learning modules, leveling up their knowledge and skills they will need to take control of the terraforming system. That is the future towards which all of our efforts will be directed, not just the preservation of the past, but the seed for the flourishing of a new tree of knowledge. Welcome, and let us begin. Apollo, the alpha for Apollo is Samina Ibaji, and they have a lot of work ahead of them because not only do they have to preserve all of the knowledge of human history, uh, they want to make sure it doesn't corrupt over centuries. They also have to create a gamified curriculum to help future humans learn and eventually be able to take control of the system. And they have to do all of this in four different languages. uh so yeah it's uh they have a tall order so actually i don't know i feel like it's probably one of the harder areas to work in um and but there were some data points that talked about their successful project uh progress so you know things seemed like they were going well yeah this one scared me because it just popped up this is the part that scared me is i would go around a corner and the holographs would just pop up and i'm like oh jeez, <laughs> uh, <laughs> thanks yeah after the first one, I figured anytime I saw a terminal, it was going to pop up a hologram. Sometimes I didn't see the terminals, though. It's just. Oh, that's because you don't use your focus a lot. Like, if you use your focus, like, a good amount, like, you'll see them coming. So. I feel like I'm so slow when I have the focus on. So, like, I hardly turn it on <laughs> <laughs> unless I'm fighting something. Oh. Uh, so, the next area is where I'm pretty sure they were initially storing Apollo. Um, which I mean, it's huge because I think Apollo was like something like 44 zeta bytes. They said mm-hmm. it's like some ridiculous number of, 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 of bytes <laughs> that they had to store Apollo in. And, uh, there's a clips in there. Now, this, I would say this is kind of a unique area because you have these like, kind of like hallways in between these mainframes. And yeah, I mean, if you wanted to, you could, you could poke in and out and, you know, fight people that way. But I mean. Honestly, you could all actually have them all come to you in one of the skinny halls and just take them out. So that's also a possibility. There is a skull enemy on the top of the high ground in the middle. And once I got one of the other skulls enemy guns, I just pointed up at him and shot him up a few times and boom, he was gone. I just hit them uh, twice. I put like three arrows on my pierce, piercer. Uh, the Oh my goodness. The piercing arrows. I don't know what they're called. Are you talking about the long range ones or the hard point ones? I think the long range ones. But if I put three of them, like they they die in one shot for the skull enemies. Right. As long as one of them hits in the head, then they die. Yeah. Three three of them, you have a pretty good chance. Yeah. (laughs) So. Uh, So in this area, you can actually find the message that Hera's asked Sobek to archive back in the grave hoard. Dr. Sobek, please archive this testimonial in Apollo. Cross-reference to all mentions of my name and Operation Enduring Victory. My name is General Aaron Harris. From 2060 to 2066, I served as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the highest-ranked officer of the United States Armed Forces. The tenure of my command included strategic planning, an oversight of Operation Enduring Victory, a falsehood perpetrated on the civilian populations of the United States and other nations. During
spending the last 14 months of life on this planet. Before the Pharaoh Plague, I did my job and did it well. I was bold and decisive, crafty in political maneuvers. It wasn't an accident that I rose to my position and became the commander of the largest mechanized force ever assembled. But to what end? My only lasting achievement was the extinction of life on Earth. And my one redeeming act, if any, was to delay that extinction by days or weeks, by throwing more death at it. It is my hope that there will be no need for men like me in the world to come. If you are one of the people of that future world, listening to this message, please know that I am sorry, and that I wish you well. Sincerely, Aaron Harris. I mean, I mean, essentially, he's just blaming himself for the events that came, at least in part because, uh, you know, he, I'm assuming he's one of the generals that pushed to, uh, to automate the, the military. So, I mean, I wonder if the United States doesn't buy into feral robots, do other countries buy into feral robots? You know? Right. It's like their only way to, if they didn't do it, other people would have this technology and they, they couldn't be at a disadvantage. Right, because the chariot line wasn't feral robots' first set of robots, right? Uh, the chariot line, I'm sure, came after their first or second or third version of robots. And the chariot line is the one that's, that's the problem because it's like self-replicating and right. it has the biofuel and you know stuff like that. So yeah, it was definitely that was definitely like later too because I think Elizabeth left before the robots started getting more and more intense because that other yeah. guy I forget his name. Um, who was working on that line even said like, I should have taken it as a sign when Elizabeth left, but I just didn't think we didn't think she left because of this reason. We just thought she just couldn't hang or something like that. I don't know how corporate guys do it. <laughs> yeah. That she couldn't cut it. So, but uh, yeah, so the next area though, this is where we finally make it to the Hades part of the facility and you find out how Hades uh, not how Hades was created, but what Hades was created for. Welcome to Hades. Zero Dawn's extinction failsafe protocol. The ultimate killer app. Now, I know what you're thinking. The purpose of Gaia is to resurrect life. So why give her a subordinate function, only purpose of which is to wipe out life all over again? I mean, what the... what? Just bum crazy, ain't it? Well, no, it isn't. Reconstituting a biosphere? That's a tall order. Tech smart as Gaia may be, odds are she won't get it right the first time. I mean, imagine your Gaia 200 years from now and this new biosphere growing, it's all gone wrong. Alkalines are skyrocketing, coniferous forests eroding under the lash of superstorms that would have drowned Noah. It's chaos, spinning top that won't stop wobbling. Now, what are you gonna do? Release phase one organisms into that hot mess? Hope their CO2 and methane can balance out what you got started? Hell no. What you're gonna do, Gaia, is step aside while Hades takes over and does what you're just too darn nurturing and life-loving to do. Which is burn that misbegotten mess of a biosphere to the ground so Gaia can start over. Okay, not burn, more like reverse terraforming operations and suffocate it. But you get the idea. Hades takes the biosphere back to zero. Square one, 
blank slate. And then, only then, does I hand the steering wheel back to Gaia and say, Try again, old girl. And better this time, or we'll have to do this again. That's Hades. It's pretty badass when you think about it. Extinction on demand. Death on speed dial. All for the greater good, of course, but still, kind of metal. So welcome to Hades. Welcome to the void. Now, I'm a little surprised they didn't make more of a, a bigger they didn't make this a cutscene like this is not a cutscene at all this is just an audio log yeah uh, so i'm a little surprised they didn't make this a bigger deal because you know hades is the big bad of the game and this is you know now you're finding out what it's built for so travis tate was the alpha for hades so our mr conflict cappuccinos he's the guy who uh is is building hades and the entire point of hades is to destroy all life on earth again uh, and the the idea is that if something goes wrong with the terraforming effort, Hades is to take over and destroy the biosphere. So I think this explains why Hades is able to reactivate the Pharaoh machines, because the goal of Minerva is to shut them down. Right. So Gaia already had like she cracks the codes and she uses Minerva to shut them down. But Hades probably also has access to the codes to reactivate the machines and get them to destroy the biosphere again. You know, because other than that, how is he going to do it? There's no other way for Hades to really do it without the the feral robots. Right. You know, so perhaps, though, and I mean, I haven't, this is some speculation, but perhaps the way the system was intended to work is that, because, you know, we haven't seen anything with Gaia, right? So where's Gaia and all this? You might be able to imagine that maybe she's not fully functional at this point. Uh Maybe he was supposed to have access to all of the systems that Gaia had and probably was supposed to use Minerva to reactivate all the machines at one time, but didn't Um, or couldn't, I should say. Then again, so much time has has passed that a lot of those machines are buried underground. They have to go looking for them. Right. See, I don't know if he would want to. I guess he would have to reactivate them. I guess that's that's the only logical thing but what's supposed to happen from what when i read slash heard this is it's before humans go on earth again he's supposed to catch something's not right with how the world was set up let us destroy everything and restart again oh yeah no i, I totally agree like before they spoke before, even before they send out animals to my knowledge yeah. like the, the, he was supposed to catch it and then oh, Hades is supposed to catch it and then destroy the biosphere. But the only way that I can think to destroy the biosphere is to bring the machines back. Right. And this is, I have a feeling this might be like maybe the second go. I feel like if because it's so far in the future, right? It's like 900 years or something. Well, at this point, but I'm pretty sure the, the Karja and the Nora, they've been around for hundreds of years at this point. That's why I think it might be like two goes right like 600 years about maybe so maybe this was like the second chance and like maybe something messed up or maybe something messed up on the first time and it's been you know the the world's been going on for the i don't know 700 i don't know how to do math 600 years (laughs) (laughs) uh from the first time and something went wrong and just people started coming out because the animals aren't 
really on Earth because I think they showed in the presentation that there were other animals besides just like pigs and like foxes and stuff. And that's all we're seeing is like boars and foxes and smaller animals. To be fair, they can only put so many animals right, in Right, that's the also game. very true. That's also very to, true. To be fair, they can only fit so many animals in the game. There's definitely more of an array of machines than animals, that's for sure. So, uh, but yeah, so there's a data point that talks about the protocol to have Hades take over uh, because they were having trouble with Hades taking over because if Hades, like, I guess, went too hard and just stripped Gaia of control, because the point of Gaia is to to build life, not destroy it. Uh, it would actually break Gaia. It would degrade the the AI. And if it wasn't hard enough, and Gaia would actually still remain in control, but act like Hades was in control. And in the background, she would be fixing things and reversing what he was doing. So the solution was actually when Hades was activated to isolate Gaia in a code shell so that Hades could work. So that maybe that's part of the problem that hey, that Gaia is wrapped in a code shell somewhere and Hades is out. That was so, my assumption, I think, that like she's like he took over and hasn't given it back. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and you also get some data points about how Travis is being pained for others. Like he's playing music too loud. Death like somebody, I think somebody said yeah, so somebody said he was playing Bashcore and he was like offended by the They said there was Bashcore. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was also submitting like body horror films to the Apollo archive. Yeah, they said something like, uh, I, I don't have the exact number, but I want to say like 400 and something like records within two days. And they're like, we're not accepting any more of your yeah. records. Like, no matter what you're sending, it's going to be auto denied. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. Yeah, it really gives you an idea of the type of person he was. So, uh, on paper, he's funny, but in real life, everybody probably hate him. I, <laughs> so. I just want to point out that the fact that he's like this, I'm surprised. I guess they, they're very limited on the amount of people that they have, right? But I feel like he would should have a second person there monitoring him or monitoring his work. He probably wouldn't allow that, but. He seems a little too out there to be working on a death machine by himself. Well, then that's part of the thing. Well, one, he wasn't by himself because he was the alpha and he had betas True. underneath him. Yeah. But I, mean, I think that's just maybe probably a testament to how good he was at what he did. And, you know, that's, that's you know, why she, she chose him. He's a priority snatch and grab. So, but yeah, I mean, so with that revelation of what, what Hades was. We're actually going to end the episode here. And in the next episode, we're going to pick up with the rest of the Zero Dawn facility and uh, whatever happens with those shadow cards that make their way into the facility. So we're going to end up talking about that. So, Christina, how are you feeling right now? This whole part took so much longer. I'm sure you've played through this part if you're listening to this, but like make sure you have a decent amount of time set to the side for this part it took so much longer than i expected there's so much information and then even rereading it now i'm like oh i'm starting to you know put together everything that i missed um but i i like the reveal i like the the name of the greek gods used for each segment i thought that was really cool i looked into each and every like oh what does this one mean what does that one mean um, so I'm really enjoying the lore at this point now that we're finally getting some information. 
Right. Yeah. And on the next episode, I think we get even more. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, there's 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 a lot going on. So, uh, yeah, with that, we are going to wrap this one up. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you want to keep what's going on with this show uh, or any other shows, the Mashless Buttons Network, follow us on Twitter.com slash the Mash Network. And uh, Christina, where can they find you? You can find me at S'mores Pop-Tart on Twitter and Twitch. I'm also a host on a podcast on the network called Wondrous Tales, where we talk about Final Fantasy 14 content. Uh, and that's any content we kind of feel like talking about for the week. So come come listen, hang out. All right. And you can find me on Twitter at Josh Tradamus. And you can also find me uh, sometimes stream on my Twitch channel, though, just twitch.tv slash mash those buttons. Uh, we'd love to have you join our discord community like i said earlier which is mash.gg slash discord and i encourage you guys to contact us with your comments and questions about the show about horizons are dawn so you can do that on discord or you can hit us up on twitter or you can just email us at contact at mash.gg if you want to help us out one of the best ways to do so is to share the show with others and to rate and review on your favorite podcast platform of choice if you want to take your support a bit further, you can do so by going to mtb.gg support and seeing all the ways you can support Matchless Buttons, including our Patreon, we have a Teespring store, uh, Twitch subscriptions, Humble Bundle affiliate links, and one-time PayPal donation link if you want to. And I encourage you guys to stay tuned after the show to hear more about Mash Those Buttons. And with that, we are done for this episode. We'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening to a Mash Those Buttons production. If you enjoyed the show, you should check out mashthosebuttons.com and see if any of our other shows might interest you. All of our shows are available on your podcast platform of choice like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. If you enjoy our content, you can help support Mash Those Buttons by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash mashthosebuttons, where you can receive Patreon bonuses for as little as $1 a month. You can connect with Mash Those Buttons at twitter.com slash themashnetwork, facebook.com slash mashthosebuttons, or join our Discord at mash.gg slash discord. 